Hey, in this episode, I want to give a special shout out to my man, Kevin Warren, the creative genius founder and CEO of God Lifts Me. Folks, you see me wearing this a ton. Between this and Sporta Kings and Roan, you know those are my favorite brands. For those of you that are getting holiday gifts this year, you're going to be getting some GLM. Kevin, this was genius. I'm proud of you, brother. I can't wait to see all the success that you're going to create by spreading God's good word through this brand. And dude, this is more than a brand. I mean, this is a lifestyle and I can't wait to see all that you're going to do. Folks, check it out. God lifts me. Man, we are about to hit you with some huge waves today. I am so excited. Here's where I want to start about today's guest. This man has a mantra that goes, dream it, see it, believe it, achieve it. And he literally lives by it day in, day out. This story is mind-blowing. It's who he is, how he carries himself. And it's the message that his life mission is built on. And candidly, it's maybe a mantra we should all live by. Today, we get to hear from a unique and phenomenal human who reached the podium by setting incredible water records all over the world. And he did it raising millions and millions of dollars for people in need. Who he is embodies true grit, determination, selflessness. His story will encourage you because it's encouraged me and everyone else that heard it today to dream it, see it, believe it, and achieve it. Welcome to At The Podium. Hello again, and welcome to At The Podium with Manuela Mesqua. As you now know, I'm a financial advocate, CEO of an incredible organization hailing from the state of Michigan, father, husband, and massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with encouraging people to dream and attack their unique vision for their life so that by doing so, they might inspire others to do the same. We built this podcast to share the stories of high performers, people I'm blessed to have in my life. And through these stories, we're gonna pull out the golden nuggets and convert those into lessons that can help you get closer to the hopes and dreams you have for yourself. Folks, Today, my guest is the one, the only, one of the world's most inspirational speakers, the savage, Chris Burdish. Chris is literally one of the most unique humans I've ever been able to meet in my life and invest quality time with. He's a best-selling author. He is an ocean pioneer, setting some of the most incredible world records today, We're going to dig into the most recent one. He is the first human to ever stand up paddleboard across the entire Atlantic Ocean. Unassisted, unsupported. Let me give you a couple data points. 93 days alone, 4,000 nautical miles, more than 7,500 kilometers of water. He's an incredible, incredible philanthropist, inspirational speaker in the world. I loved hearing Chris unpack his childhood, talk about the significance and impact his father had in his life, talk about how awesome it was to grow up as the third of the boys in his family, living to love, to compete, to be treated like them, to be like one of the older boys. It set the tone for so many of the unique and brave and courageous things that Chris has done. I know you're going to find value in today's conversation. Enjoy it, Chris Burdish. Folks, I am so excited to kick off our fall and winter season with one of the greatest visionary, inspirational speakers, multiple time best selling author, and one of the most infinite game thinkers, Simon Sinek of the water. My new friend, so excited to have you here in Detroit, Michigan, Chris Burdish. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks very much, Manny. Appreciate it. Um, honor and a privilege to be um, sharing with such like-minded, um, amazing humans. Yeah, and, and I, I love I lo- three things I want to point out. One, 
I'm rocking Sporta Kings. Dana, Tiffany, wanted to give you a shout out. My man, Chris Burdish has paddled and surfed more water than I'd say 99.9% of all watermen and women in the world. And so I thought it only appropriate that I rock your LA brand made here in the USA. One of the greatest brands on the planet, Sport of Kings. Check it out. Number two, though, one of Chris's charitable uh, uh, endeavors and causes is to help children who are born and dealing with a cleft palate. So this episode, first episode of the season is, is in honor of my incredible niece, Charlotte Carroll, uh, girl, you know that you are one of my favorite humans on the absolute planet, and I love you so much. And so this this episode is in your honor. But number three, Chris and I were introduced by my wife and one of her dear friends, Sarah. And it's just amazing how small the world can be. Here you are, one of the greatest stories hailing out of South Africa, and we're in Detroit, Michigan filming the first episode of this season on At The Podium, and it's because of Samantha and Sarah's special relationship and connection that we're here together. And I've never been in Detroit, so this is one of the main reasons why I'm here. So honored and privileged, and it's amazing to just be able to travel around the world, and it's incredible the people you meet through community and through family. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And so Chris and I have been spending the morning together in Chris, one of the mantras that I've read and I've actually heard people share in some of the video and audio I was able to catch up on over the last couple of weeks as we got together for today was the comment, dream it, see it, believe it, achieve it. And I enjoy sharing the stories, especially the childhood stories of dreaming and adversity and the things that somebody believes is possible when they're young with our listeners. Tell us what that mantra means to you and maybe take us back to your childhood. What were the things that young Chris Burdish was dreaming about growing up in South Africa? Wow, Manny, that's quite a loaded question. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I like it. Um, I guess, uh, you know, growing up in South Africa is a very unique place. So, you know, it's very raw. It's very wild. It's... Um, got a lot of challenges and I think that's been a great opportunity. I always try and see everything with a silver lining and I, I believe that coming from adversity like like you are so familiar with, you, it makes you a more grounded, more um, resilient human being. And I think those kind of traits of, you know, grit, courage, passion and purpose are incredibly valuable assets to be able and characteristic traits to be able to take you into all walks of life and it makes you a better human it has you have more empathy and i think you you learn that nothing in life comes for free and you got to work your ass off to be able to get it and you know it it also requires a immense amount of grit and and determination and perseverance and i think i learned that not only just coming from south africa but um you know Growing up as the youngest of three naughty little boys, um, I was always like, you know, also growing up also down the food chain in, in the brotherhood, you got to fight for for being able to keeping up and not getting left behind. And that makes you even more driven and more motivated and more more determined, I think. And, and you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's definitely shaped me and made me who I am today and those those values I think are essential to to be successful at anything in life. And I think it, it's important and I, I never look back with any regrets and just, um, I look back with an immense amount of gratitude for my upbringing of, from my, my parents in regarding to how they brought me up old school, you know, have respect, have humility, look after others, give back wherever you can and just be honest, reliable, and, and try and be a better human, you know? And I think the whole philosophy around dream it, see it, believe it, achieve it is really about believing in yourself and knowing that that you can do anything if you set your mind to it. And, you know, a lot of people talk in, in business, you know, you can't really, a lot of people say, oh, you can't really use the word dream because it's too wishy-washy, but dreaming is just a a different term for visualization and i really yes everything for me is about you know seeing it in your mind's eye and then bringing it into reality and you know if you've studied like a, a lot of people have if you studied neuroscience if you can visualize something and you can add emotion movement and color 
then your mind can't distinguish between reality and and what's actually happening in your brain. So all you're doing is then you're just tricking your brain to be able to bring it into reality. And I've always believed that if you take daily steps and actions towards your goals and intentions with consistency and discipline, you will always achieve whatever goal you set for yourself. And the only time you won't is when you give up and stop trying. So if you know that, why would you ever give up and stop trying? And I think it's just such a, we're talking about simplicity as wisdom earlier. Yes. I think a lot of people just don't get that. Like it is that simple. So if you know that, why would you give up on anything in life? Because you can achieve anything. And I've just literally taken that philosophy from a really early age of just being in, in sport because I was, I was one of the smallest in, uh, in whatever I did. And I just realized that if you, you had a, you know, a goal and a vision and you take daily steps and actions and you just outwork people, outtrain people and outsmart it, maybe you can, there's so many adversities that you can see as a, a superpower. You don't have to be, you don't have to be Batman or Superman, but you That's can right. be Batman because you don't need a cape. And yes, you know, we're all human, yes. but you, if you really want something bad enough, you will find a way. And if you can't find a way, that means you just didn't want it badly enough. It's really that simple. Can you think back? Uh, Sorry, to, did that answer your question? Yes, it did. <laughs> and more, and more. And I'm going to come back to two of the points that you made. Um, can you think back to your childhood? Uh, can you think back to a time when you had the visualization for something special and it took a lot of perseverance and endurance for you to achieve it? Um, I think a couple of like those one or two track and field races that I was doing when I was probably about 11. And yeah. I set my mind that I wanted to beat the top guy. Yeah. And um, he was really good and he was a lot bigger than me. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm not as tall as him. I've got to do way more strides to be able to beat him, but I think I can outlast him and I can, I can outsmart him. And yeah. that was in the, the national quadrangular, which we have, which is all the best schools in, in the country. Wow. And it was the 400 meter race. And, um, I started out in the 400 and, um, I was the smallest by far in the, out of the whole field. I was tiny. And right at the start, someone by mistake tripped me and I fell. So I went from right at the back, I went from middle to right at the back, right at the beginning. And then uh, I think, I think it's just a mindset. And like sometimes in life, you only get an opportunity once. Yes. And I've learned, especially as the underdog in everything that I've done coming from South Africa, that when you get that opportunity, there are no excuses. Yeah. That's when you know, like you've got to put in all the groundwork, you've got to put in all the hours when no one's watching, where there are no cameras watching, when yeah. there's no one there. That's when, that's what makes the difference between the best and the rest. Mm -hmm. And then that's all comes to the, the planning, the preparation that you put in beforehand. And I think that's carried me through in everything in life. And I ended up, you know, ended up slowly overtaking them. And that, I guess it goes into, you know, one of the, one of the books that I've done at the moment with, I talk about, um, you know, the, the story of the golden monkey and slowly, slowly catch a monkeys. And that's exactly what I try to do through that track and field race. I ended up like, okay, now I'm right at the back. That wasn't what my plan was, yeah, but that's right. I can catch them and I'll catch them one by one and overtake them. And I ended up literally crossing the line, diving over the line past the guy that was the tallest guy ever took the whole field and, and won. And, and it was just like... <laughs> Even to this day, like, you know, my dad passed away uh, quite, a, quite a long time ago, but I remember he was filming it and like his whole camera like went up and there was a shouting and screaming in the background. And it was just, I think it was a good example in my head. It was like, okay, Beautiful. you can do this no matter what. Like, how badly do you want this? That's and right. yeah, this happened to you. Yeah, yes. but everything, stuff happens in life. Yes. Get a grip. Yes. Don't make excuses. Just make it happen. Yes. You know, and. And, and, and again, it just goes down to like, how badly do you want to prove that you're as good as, if not better than the rest? Yeah. And you can, if you want to badly enough, like anything. Yeah. That's beautiful. Can you, can you think back to what inspired your love for the water? Definitely my dad, for yeah. sure. Unpack that a little bit for our listeners. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up with an incredible father who was 
very ocean-based in his mindset and attitude, and he wanted to bring up his kids in a way with a love and passion and respect for the ocean. And um, being the youngest of three boys, I seemed to start everything four years younger than all my other brothers, which was which was a blessing and a curse, but I think more blessing than anything else. Sure. And um, we were very fortunate because my dad was sort of a pioneer in a lot of different sports, um, and he was at a very high level. So he used to actually water ski for Britain and for South Africa, uh, and he was you know canoed the one of the biggest canoe races and one legs of that and. He surfed a little bit and he sailed a lot. He built the first ever catamaran in South Africa. So when we learned to water ski, I think my brother, oldest brother started when he was like eight, which means that I started at four. Yeah. Which at that time, just that was not something that existed on the planet. Like so much so that there were no water skis for a four-year-old or five-year-old to learn. So he shaped these wooden skis like himself. Yes. And the binding for the, for the, the foot that goes in the ski was almost as big as the water ski because they were so small. And then like once – so I started water skiing probably at like four or five and then by the time I went on to slalom skiing, both my brothers went on to slalom skiing with one ski probably at the age of 12 and I was like – if they're doing it, I want to do it. And he was like, no, no, you, you, there's no way you can do it. You're too young. And I was like, no, no, don't tell me I can't do it. I definitely want to do it. And he was like, no, we'll wait until next season. And said, well, then I, this was like a skiing holiday that we were yeah. like, all went up and skied. I was like, well, then I'm not skiing this whole holiday until you let me ski because I'm I'm, I'm going to slalom ski. And he's like, dude, you're too small. And I said, okay, well, then I'm not, I'm not, I'm not participating. So after like two days of me not skiing, every time he was like, yo, go skiing. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going. I want to ski. And then two days later, he was like, okay. You, you and you did. Yeah, and I did. Yeah. <laughs> and then he taught me how to, to, to go um, left foot forward, which meant that just in case. So he, like, he really was a pioneer and he really had the foresight to think ahead to like, okay, if I was going to, if I was eventually going to compete internationally, yeah. I needed to learn instead of going right foot forward to be able to go left foot forward. So he taught me left foot forward because there's one extra buoy on the line if you do professional skiing and it's to your advantage to be left foot forward. forward. But most people always learn right foot forward because that's natural. Yes. Um, But I didn't end up becoming a professional skier, but it just goes down to like that he thought ahead always, you know, and he was always thinking about like, how could I give great opportunity to, to, how could I get the, give the best foot forward yeah. to my kid to be able to give him like the mindset and the attitude for success. And, you know, when he built the first ever catamaran in South Africa, I ended up sailing a lot with him from a really young age, probably like the age of like five years old, six years old. And we used to go out and sailing together a lot. Like I used to sail a lot with him a lot more than my other brothers. Okay. And I sort of fell in love with that. And I used to fall asleep on the front of the pontoon of a catamaran. Yeah. If you know the pointy ends, yes, I, I used to crawl up at the front and I used to fall asleep there. And often he used to sail on one hull along through the sunsets and he used to come in and people used to come up and they go, I saw you. I saw your, your son hanging on for dear life. Isn't what he terrified that it's quite reckless. And my dad would be like, no, no, that's his happy place. He just falls asleep there. <laughs> and it was just like, for me, that was like my happy place. And I would just fall asleep with the, like the, the sound of the water going past and just be in complete flow with my environment and just be a, completely content with being in the ocean in the most beautiful, pure format with like one of uh, like the most incredible watermen that I knew on the planet that I knew that when I was with him, I was safe. And I think that love and passion for the ocean came from me learning to sail and ski and stuff with my dad and knowing that he knew sort of everything about everything with Mm -hmm. the ocean. And I saw him as like the ultimate waterman. And even though I look back now in hindsight with me obviously developing my own unique set of skills, I look back on that as a very fond memory. Um, and and I think just an invaluable upbringing that I'm very grateful for um, because that sort of set me up to allow me to be, a, be able to have like a, a real deep love, passion and respect for the ocean mm-hmm. and an understanding that 
yes, you need to use it and enjoy it. And it'll might, if you utilize it correctly and your, your skills and your gifts, you can use it for positive good and Mm -hmm. to be able to inspire others. But it also requires a deep level of respect. Mm -hmm. And in order to be able to love it and, and respect it, you've also got to learn to protect it and let other people know what a great gift it is and how we can all use it, but also really have a, not only a fascination for it, but also a great understanding that we need to look after it because we only have one blue planet. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful story. And I'd read a little bit about your relationship with your father, um, which is not like widely shared out there publicly. You know, I've seen you interviewed on a number of shows and, uh, and I've not heard as much as you shared right now. And so it's, as you know, everything's about asking the right questions in life. Yeah. And when you have a beginner's mind and you ask the right questions, you get very unique, powerful answers. Yes. But when people seem to gravitate towards the same questions, they'll get the same answers. Right. Right. And it's just like there's so much more yes. to unpack and discover when you ask insightful questions. Yeah, completely. Can you think of other uh, moments or points or people uh, of inspiration from your childhood that really reinforced your love of the water? Um, I mean, I always grew up just, you know, trying to be better than my brothers. So that was very simple. <laughs> Who doesn't know that story? <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I look at that as a as an incredible gift. You know, yes, you don't reckon you, you don't recognize it at the time because you're just fighting to survive and to yeah. try and be better. You know, um, and you don't see it as like a a very positive brotherhood bond because you're just trying to fighting to just be better That's than right. them. But when you look back in hindsight, like with anything, it's 2020, you look back and you think, wow, what an incredible gift that was, that I had incredible brothers that I looked up to that inspired me in a lot of ways too, and to try and be better than them. And then also to try and look back and just be grateful for the opportunity that, you know, we had a very close family knit from an early age, right until probably in my early 30s. And I look back as being very grateful for that because a lot of people don't have that as an upbringing and even though things might have changed in certain areas of my family that's okay like yeah. don't like everybody goes oh well what about this can't you mend this or whatever and you're like no it's like everything everything in life has its time and place mm-hmm. and you've just got to look back with gratitude and be grateful for what you had not focus yeah. on the things that that aren't yeah. now and never say never never say forever you know things change yes and and that's that's great you've got to see the the positive in everything like, like, you know, you talk about it in a lot of stuff that you do about having a positive mental attitude. I mean, if you, if you show up at your best every day and try and be a better human and a better version of yourself with a positive mental attitude, you're going to attract the same thing. When did you know that you could compete professionally as a surfer? Because here, here you are, this track and field star, this little up and coming. Like, you know, when did you go from land to water? And say, this is what I'm going to devote my gifts and talents well, to. Well, I, I did a little bit of everything. And I think yeah. that makes you a better rounded human. And that's why like, I, I always battle when, when parents like, focus their children on being like one thing right from the outset at a really early age. I was like, mm, I don't know if that's 100% correct. Like, I think it makes you a really better all-rounded human by doing a lot of different things right from the outset because you learn different skills that you can cross-pollinate across multiple different sports and your hand eye coordination is better the way you read your environment is better and i think like everything perspective is everything and perspective is gained from having a dramatic um, amount of knowledge and insight that and data that you collect from your entire environment so the more skilled you are and more versed you are at multiple different things it gives you a better rounded perspective of of your environment to be able to read it correctly to be able to minimize the risk so you can uh, have the right data to work with to make mm-hmm. the, the right decisions quickly to g- get the effective result you're looking for. I learned a lot of valuable skills that then I crossed into other things and that sort of crossed me into going more into down the water route and then getting more into surfing, becoming more focused on surfing. And I wasn't I wasn't the best surfer in South Africa by a long stretch sure. at all. You know, yes, I competed um, provincially and and a little bit nationally, but never on an international level. But I, as soon as I got into the big wave stuff, then I was like, 
okay, this is a whole nother playing field. And you know what? I can, I can excel here because it's just an open playing field and an open canvas. And you know what? There's so many people in the water in all the small waves and there's so many people fighting for waves. Yeah. But out there. That's right. Not many people want out there. No. And it, it separates the wheat from the chaff. And the people that really want it. And what I loved about the big wave side of things is that you've got this open canvas that you can take your paintbrush and you can you can paint your own magic over the waves. And there are no rules like on land. There are no yeah. stop signs. There are no traffic lights. And there's no one telling what you can and can't do. The, you literally define your own borders and boundaries and your own limits. And I love that because I was like, okay, this – this landscape is terrifying and it's scary and it forces me to unpack that, how to manage and minimize my fear, transcend it and mm -hmm. see what's possible. And you know what? There are not a lot of people that are out here doing this stuff and I can, I can define myself here in this space. And all the people I started analyzing all the different places and all the different big wave spots and I was like... I want to see if I can be as good as I can be in this space. And then when you get to, you know, being inspired by some of the local heroes and getting to the point that you like making an impact in that space, then you're like, okay, how about I take it up a notch and see if I can transcend my small environment and, yes. and go the, the next level. And I went over to the North Shore of Hawaii and I think in 99 and, I was literally schooled by the power mm -hmm. of the Pacific Ocean and mm -hmm. completely humbled. And mm -hmm. I had a couple of near-death experiences um, in that first season, got pushed into underwater cave, didn't read my environment correctly at Waimea Bay, which is one of the epicenters of big wave surfing by not knowing the entry and exit points to be able to come in if I got into a problem. And I almost drowned and I crawled up the beach on my hands and knees convulsing almost you know, and, and, and it taught me a lot. Um, you know, those life lessons are there to to guide you and to teach you. You know, it's how you, as we were talking about earlier, it's how you respond That's to right. trauma and challenge and tragedy that defines you. Either yes. you shy away from it or you, you ask yourself the simple question, what did I learn from that experience? How can that make me a better human? How can I take that knowledge and experience to be able to improve myself and become better? And I think... Like in life these days, too many times people talk about, you know, success and failure. And I don't believe in failure. I only believe in a failure to try. And when you don't succeed the first time, just ask yourself the question, what did I learn from that experience? How did how do I take that building block that I, and remove that and replace it with another one mm -hmm. to be able to help me keep on moving forward towards my mm -hmm. goal and 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 trajectory and vision and dream? Mm -hmm. And if you keep on doing that and you keep on moving forward and taking those building blocks and then what I call periscope out outside of so you remove yourself from the situation and analyze it down afterwards and do an analytics of it and say okay how can i be better what is everyone else doing what am i doing how can i learn from what i learned this season and then what is everyone else doing and how can i stand out by being unique so i developed my own version of um physical mental and emotional training for this for that environment that no one was doing at the time. And then I started training like every day at the pool before work and I was working a full-time job. So I've never been, I've never <laughs> been a paid professional athlete ever in my entire life, which most people wow. find quite bizarre. So I was working yes. full-time before work, I was training in the pool for two hours and I'd train after work. And I just, I got into a point where I felt like I was superhuman. I was like oozing confidence to the point that it was sort of dangerous because I felt like I was completely immortal. Mm. But that season mm. completely redefined like what I believed was possible. Like I like I it really made me realize that the potential of what you can do is limitless. We are mm. only constrained by our own mental shackles that bind mm -hmm. us. So that's the yeah, I think that I went and I did the the big three. So a lot of people had spoken about time traveling as well, mm -hmm. which was surfing Waimea on a big swell in Hawaii when a big storm hits, then chasing the swell over the, the Pacific. So surfing it all day, then getting on a plane that evening. And as it traveled across the Pacific to get to the California coastline, you were flying over it to land in front of it just before it arrived in the morning, the red-eye flight, then surf um, Mavericks, which is like the biggest big wave on the planet at the time, in the morning. And then 
and then I didn't have any friends, so then I, I didn't know how to get to, down to Toto Santos, and the swell does a, like a loop, so then it goes south if you get the right swell. So then you could go down and surf the same swell at Toto Santos. So you could surf three completely different places, locations over like 5,000 miles on exactly the, the same exact swell. Same one. And people have talked about it, but no one have done it. And I was like, hmm, well, why not? Yes. It can be done. And I ended up doing this, and I ended up surfing my mad giant, my mad, then getting in my rental car. Like, I, this was before like Google Maps and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I was like, on my own. This is like unheard of, like this little crazy South African that was just like bouncing around, like tracking these massive swells, which no one did that, you know? Yes. And I wasn't like, I didn't have any camera crew. I didn't have any like fanfare. I was just doing it on Yeah, nowadays you'd have a show on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? it was crazy. And that sort of set so, me up for like what was possible from that yeah. point onwards. I mean, you go, you go from getting out there and you said about around 99, right? Yeah. Having a near death experience to a year to a year and a half later doing this to less than a decade later. Winning the Mavericks Big Wave International. Yeah, that was what a, a ten-year run. <laughs> what a ten-year run. Can you can you walk us through in a few minutes? Walk us through that competition, the Big Wave International in 2010. Hey, I want to give a quick shout out to my new friend James Murphy and his entire team. James is the CEO of Element, and looking. If you're trying to perform at your highest level, whether it's in the locker room, in the boardroom, or at your home as a parent, um, I got to tell you this element that I've been taking daily for the last several weeks, it's helping to restore health, hydration, and it's got zero, zero sugar. And look, I know I'm on Instagram from time to time. I see who their competitors are. I don't even like the marketing and promotion they're using. This is it. If you're looking to restore health, perform at your highest level, and just overall feel great, check out Element. Check out Element. Hey, gang, I want to send a special shout out to my friend Jennifer Maxwell. You may know that name. Jennifer and Brian were the creators, founders of The Power Bar. And so for people my age, 45 plus or minus 10, Gang, we know the power bar. Well, guess what? Jennifer has now launched a new bar. It's incredible. My entire family loves it. Samantha Ava Atlas. They've got vegan, gluten-free options. It's completely organic, and it's called Jam Bar. I know they use this language in describing it, but I completely agree. This thing is a complete labor of love and an instrument of spreading positivity starting in your tummy. If you want to stay healthy, you want to put something in your belly that makes a ton of sense, organic, vegan, gluten-free options, check out Jam Bar. Jennifer crushed it with this product, and we wish them a ton of success. So when people talk about, when you say, like, what a 10-year run, so <laughs> I think most people don't understand that between two, when I came back from that year of that journey. Yes. I thought I was going to like, I got everything out of my system and I was going to settle down <laughs> and get like the, you know, the white picket fence and yeah, get the Jack Russell and, you know, do, do, do everything that most people consider to be successful. You know, I'd done that and now I needed to settle down and go to like work for a living and do what everyone else do, yeah. you know, what they, what they do to make a living and be successful. Yes. So I ended up getting a job working for Billabong as the national sales director because uh. um, um, I'd studied marketing and sales. And I ended up doing that for a while. And then I started getting invited to the big wave, the, the, the Red Bull Big Wave Africa event. And I started to do that, but I wasn't paid professional. I was working full time. Like, and, sure. I, and everything that I do, I try and do to the best that I can. So yeah. I was working like 12, 14 hour days, um, six days a week because you know, that was my focus, yeah. you know. Um, and it was it was a really like a roller coaster. People think, oh, well, then obviously through that, then I would have got sponsored and I would have been this professional athlete and that's what I would have done for 10 yes. years. No, no. I worked my ass off in corporate doing, you know, doing all these jobs where there was the national sales director for, for Billabong. Then I ended up um, going over to the UK and um, hitting up the Gull 
water sports division. Then I came back. They they asked me to look after um, looking after it in South Africa. Then I did that. Then I took over looking after O'Neill as a brand manager for that, taking on that. So this was all happening full time. So I wasn't focused mm -hmm. on surfing at all. And then I just tr started trying to use my my end of year pockets that I had of like two or three weeks to try and go over to Hawaii and to Northern California and try and make a name of myself trying to get into the Mavericks Big Wave Invitational. But most of the other people have the whole season to be able to go over and do, and they live in America. So it's sure. easy. For me, I was used all my leave to be able to try and go over for three weeks, hope there was two or three big swells that I could make a, a dent and make a name for myself that I was as good as everyone else. And that wasn't yeah. very easy because I could only get two or three weeks off work to be able to do that. And then I ended up realizing I wasn't getting enough time to be able to, to, to do these, you know, focus on big wave surfing and sure. trying to become one of the best in the world. So I ended up leaving the, the, the corporate side and starting up my own agency, looking after a whole lot of sports brands. So I had, at, after two or three years after doing that, I built up the biggest agency in, in the Western Cape, looking after 11 or 12 brands. Um, and having like multiple showrooms and two different floors and all the people looking after so I could try and get away yeah. a little a little more and had a little bit more flexibility and I got an assistant, my assistant to look after things while I was away. And it was just, it was challenging trying to juggle all that at the same time, you know, and training and everything sure. else. And then I finally got, like in 2010, I got, I'm um, cracked the knot to become one of the top 24. And then that year just happened to be an anomaly that there was no real big swells that year. And I ended up going over for three and a half weeks and there was literally one swell. And then I broke my knee or, or what I broke. What? And yeah, I just got, uh, I was just like, there were so many, oh there were just so God. many obstacles. And I got told that I wouldn't be able to surf for the next, whatever, six months. And I ended up being in a cast. There were just a whole lot of things. And I ended up going over and ended up surfing, um, with these crazy obstacles and I knew yes. that if I fell, I probably wouldn't be able to walk properly. So then I just decided, well, then I wouldn't fall. And then like the, the 10 years of big wave surfing that day is the only day still to this day that I never fell once. And it's just, wow. a, it's about like, it's about the visualization and the, the, the like, I, I remember lying in bed that the night before going out that day and just going, well, and I just, I kept on seeing myself falling on one of the waves and I had to go through that in my mind about, 40 or 50 times until I could visualize myself making the way that I saw myself falling on. And that next day, it was like it was scripted out of my dreams the night before because I had that exact wave that I re-ran in my head over 50 times. And the bump in the wave where I fell that I re-ran at least 50 times was exactly the wave that I got. And that was it. the bump was in exactly the same place. And that's sort of what happened and like my whole journey has sort of been just like a myriad of different different experiences like that sure. and i think when if people read the first book which i actually just bought my rights back so i'm gonna actually relaunch it as a new book next year which Stoked. will be called yes which wasn't really launched in <coughs> in in america so i'm going to relaunch it next year the end of next year under a different title called the maverick Awesome. Um, which I think will work really well. And um, then we'll put it onto the audiobook and everything else. And I think people just when they when they read that story, it's a crazy story story of courage, determination, and the power of dreams. And the power of intention and visualization. That when you believe in something and you have the courage to take daily steps and actions towards it and you never give up, that you can achieve literally anything. What um You I, love the story of the underdog? Yeah, it's oh hundred percent. Like you 10, know that. Tenfold. Yeah. I mean, we talked about a few of the guests that I've had on recently, and it's just it's just a recurring theme with people who achieve exceptional things in life, right? Beware the underdog. That's Always. right. I'll I'll put 10, 10 X on any underdog yes. in any situation. Yes. I want to make sure that we leave enough time to talk about this insane 93-day journey that you were on. I want to talk about the book, and I want to talk about everything that's to come over the next five to 10 years that's all about what Chris Burdish's vision for his life looks like. Vision Let's for, Vision for others. This, yes, vision for others. I keep thinking of the word advocate as I've gotten to know you a little bit today and know about you leading up to today is how you've come off like a very strong advocate for so many other people. And sometimes I can't even draw 
the connection between you and the organizations that you advocate for and well, support, it changes, but it's beautiful. It, it changes depending on where I am in my path and my journey. I believe that there's so Say many more. There, there's so many organizations that are doing amazing things and mm -hmm. I don't need it. It doesn't need to be about me. It just, how do I use my tools and my gifts to be able to upskill, to be able to help and gift and service others. Mm -hmm. And it's really like, if you have those kind of gifts and those kind of skills, like any athlete or any ambassador for anything, then what kind of human are you if you don't fulfill that and use your tools for positive change and be a role model for others. And I think the world needs roles, role models and it needs powerful inspiration um, now more so than any time. And whatever you're doing, I think it's your duty and responsibility if you have influence to be able to gift that back and to inspire and to help and lift up others. It's just like what, what human are you if you don't use your tools for positive change? Yeah, but that's not common in the world today. And so where did you, where did you draw that from? Who wants to be common in this yeah, world? Well, that's There's true. Way too many normal people. If you want to be excel at anything, you've got to stand out. So that's how right. Do you, how do you make yourself unique? You know, we yeah. told from an early age that you need to conform, you need to fit in this box. But no, as right. soon as you get out of out yes. of school, you actually like, no, you don't want to be normal like everything else. Yes. Otherwise, you don't stand out. So how do you... How do you separate yourself from the rest? You become unique. You think out of the box. You think, no, you don't think out of the box. You think like there is no box. There, the box is just created from, from other people's constraints of how they see the world. Does that mean it's the same for you? No. You have your own, the only limitations you have are the limitations you put in your own brain. Mm -hmm. And when you do a lot of the stuff like we talk about doing and we've spoken about, and you realize that your potential is limitless and you can do anything and you can draw your own whatever you want on the canvas of your life and you are the definition of your own destiny you create that and you shape that each and every day in some small way the definition of your own destiny and that's an incredible segue to this paddling of more than 4050 nautical miles 7500 kilometers 93 days you paddled across the atlantic ocean and when I watched you on the Dan Nichols show, um, I enjoyed Dan's references to basically it was uh, you're going to die mission, right? Like, like Chris, uh, you statistically will die attempting this and you uh, encounter giant squids, tankers, great white sharks, and so many other things in those deep, deep, deep blue waters. Can you share that story a little bit with our listeners? Perspective is everything. Say more. So a lot of people look at the stuff that I do and they think it's crazy, but that all, that all depends on your frame of reference and what you're comparing it to. So yes. for any common garden person and quote unquote normal person on land that doesn't have a immense n knowledge and fascination and understanding and respect for the ocean and grown up in it all his life where most people see it as a place of fear. I look at it as my second home. And if you spend enough time there and you build up enough knowledge and experience in that space, then whatever you do, you build as stepping stones to be able to get you to where you want to go. So a lot of people, you know, yes, I, most people look at this journey and they're like, how is it humanly possible or feasible to stand up paddleboard solo unsupported across the Atlantic Ocean by Nearly yourself? Nearly a hundred days, you know, on a craft that's a meter wide by a foot longer than a normal board that you might get at Costco. Um, and that doesn't seem rationally possible to anyone. But for me, it was like the next logical step. And that doesn't seem logical to anyone. But people miss the journey in between seeing the achievement and seeing whatever person in business, sport or life has taken to get to that goal. Mm -hmm. And they, 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 they politely just miss everything that happened in the 20 year journey before that. If people ask me, how did I prepare for that journey? I was preparing for that journey my entire life. I just didn't know it. When you were sleeping on the front of the catamaran. When I was sleeping on the front of the catamaran, when I was five years old, I yeah. was actually every little, every little step that I took and every little, every little stepping stone was a building block to allow me to do what I just did. If I'd have done that journey five years before I did that journey, I wouldn't have succeeded because I needed every single building block 
that took me there, that allowed me to do that. Was it a stand-up paddleboard journey across the Atlantic? No, it was a gigantic sailing navigational masterpiece that took every single bit of knowledge and experience that I gained being comfortable in the ocean in its most raw, wild, terrifying moments mm -hmm. and becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable through big wave surfing, surfing the biggest waves that exist on the planet by sailing all over the world as a semi-professional sailor most of my life, from sailing from an early age, understanding the ocean, from windsurfing, surfing, sailing, the, the, then getting into stand-up paddleboarding and doing the 12-hour world record, the 12-hour Guinness world record, the 24-hour world record, the first ever 350-mile solo unsupported journey up the wild west coast of Africa by myself, where I almost got like blown out to Brazil. Like all those kind of journeys where I burnt my corneas, I almost, like, almost died multiple times, but I learned valuable lessons and I learned from those experiences, okay, this didn't work. Why? I nearly died because this happened. Why did that happen? How do I minimize the risk, build in more tools to be able to minimize the risk, mitigate the possible negative scenarios which will end my life so I can proceed with confidence? Basically, like it's like fund management. Yes. It's, it's risk management. Yes. I come from a rescue background. So I used to train people in risk and, and rescue in giant waves. All it is is about creating the tools to minimize and mitigate the risk so you can proceed with confidence once you get to a risk tolerance level that you're that is acceptable. Now, most people that go out day to day to do things, they're like, okay, I'll do something when my risk tolerance gets to about, I'm 90% sure that I'm roughly 85 to 90% sure that I will be successful at this. Yes. I have exactly the same risk tolerance. I'm actually, I consider myself to be really risk adverse which might seem completely insane to you. But I, the amount of research, planning, and preparation that goes into the journeys that I do is so next level that I don't think people quite understand that when I leave, I have looked at every single worst-case scenario like for three to five years beforehand, and I've implemented tools to be able to minimize the risk. So my risk tolerance is exactly that, 85 to 90%. So I know that they'll always, no matter what we do, when we walk out of our house into, into our day, each and yeah. every day, there's a there's roughly, a there's a 10 to 15% risk that something might yeah. happen that we might not be able to control or see coming. That's exactly what I, how I look at all my adventures. I minimize the risk. I put in all measures to be able to ensure my safety no matter what happens. And then I work backwards from this is my goal. And then I work backwards and I do a pre-mortem of every single worst case scenario that can possibly happen. And I will never, ever proceed forward with building, a, even starting to build a project and build an adventure until I have found a solution to every single one of those worst case scenarios. And I have a tools at my disposal to be able to implement them immediately with a dramatic sense of urgency to be able to ensure a positive result. Because if you haven't gone through every single one of those scenarios with a dramatic sense of urgency and in the Leading up to this process, you've thought about what it'll look like, what it'll feel like, what it'll taste like. And so you've worked through the physical, mental, and emotional state you'll be in in that state when it happens, even though it's never happened yet. And then you know the multiple different tools that you have at your disposal. When it happens, you're never, ever in a panic reactive state when that scenario comes because you've already gone through you this know. in your mind. That's right. You've already, you know how it's going to look, how it's going to feel, and you can deal with it immediately in a positive, proactive way and deal with things and implement the tools immediately with a dramatic sense of urgency to be able to minimize the risk, to proceed with confidence, to be, have the, be able to have the outcome that you need to ensure a positive result, not only for you, for your outcome, for the project and your survival at the same time. And if you've done all of that, then everything that I do doesn't seem like it's, it's risky at all. It's just like I'm going out to do my job like anyone else would. And yeah. the the only thing that, I, that that takes me more time is to look at all the levels and layers of give back that I add on to the journeys that I do because what I do has never been done before. Most mm -hmm. of the stuff, actually all the stuff that I'm doing now, sure. none of it's been done before. So I don't worry about the, 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 the dramatic goals or the world records that come from it because just by getting to – to do what I do, it's going to set multiple world records because it's so far beyond what anyone else has ever done before. Sure. But for me, that's not what it's about. That's just a tool to be mm -hmm. able to use, to be able to 
gain awareness mm -hmm. and gain media recognition to be able to gift back for the, for the, the layers that are important to me. Yeah. So that's what you use for the impact. And as long as it's those, it's those layers that take the time and take the amount of research and planning and putting those in place so that when you do these things, that the give back layers are immense and have enormous impact because that's what it's about. Yeah. It's got to be like in life, you've got to have a purpose greater than yourself to be able to have a measurable impact. And then if you like everything in life as well, to be successful, you are a reflection of the company you keep. So build a great team, surround yourself with incredible people mm -hmm. and you will be success mm -hmm. full and you will amplify your success by collaborating for mm -hmm. success. Can you... Um one, thank you. Does that and, make sense? Uh, yes, it does. And it really resonates with me. As you know, we've had a number of guests on the show um, who've done and achieved very special and unique things in life uh, that sometimes have not been done before. And and there's some common characteristics and perspectives that you all share. So I really enjoy listening to those. Mm -hmm. This 93-day journey, though. Because you, you share those yourself. Yes, That's to why. some extent. Yes. Resonate. Yeah, and I admire them. And I admire the people that we've had on very much, like yourself. When you think of those 93 days, can you share very quickly, because I know we're coming up on time, uh, but can you share very quickly a time where you were emotionally challenged, where you did feel and think, wow, this is maybe a little bit more than I thought? Was there a moment like that in those 93 days across the Atlantic Ocean? There, there are always times that we'll always, I won't say doubt, like doubt and question are maybe not the right, the right terminology, but you always, you have moments where you go through immense challenge and struggle. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with all of us in life, I think. And I think the journey, like a lot of people focus on like anything in life, they focus on the, the goal and the accolade of what you've achieved, but they forget the journey it takes to get there. And I break up all these these big adventures and journeys that I do now into three completely equal parts. The journey to the start, the journey itself, and the journey to recovery. And each one of those is immeasurably the same sure. and as challenging itself. So sure. the journey to get to the start line of that project was incredibly challenging from multiple different levels, trying to get the sponsorship, trying to build the craft on a shoestring budget and trying to be able to not cut corners because great adventures in life of people that have achieved extraordinary goals, generally the people that come unraveled and the people that either don't succeed or die trying are people that have cut corners or been pushed by mm -hmm. ego or ego emotion or cutting corners on, on cost where they're pressured by sponsors and time. Mm -hmm. And when you study all those kind of things, I always do a lot of research in regarding to that stuff. Then you look at why people get unraveled and you got, make sure that you're very cognitive of that and have the awareness to be able to not make the wrong decision by leaving at the wrong time, not cutting corners, because that's where sure. that separates the best from the rest and the people that die and the people that survive and, yeah. and cause impact. And um, I, I learned that on the journey and I, I've been very mindful of that as well. So just getting to the start line was difficult. And then, you know, there's so many incredible challenge to 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 just starting that day and i think i left from the dock my team had flown home because we ran out of money i had run out of my visa i had to if i didn't leave that day i was going to get put in jail like there were so many challenges to that start and i think pushing off the dock that morning at 4 50 in the morning in the pitch black to do something that no one thought was possible to paddle into the black abyss with not one person on the dock no no friends no family no supporters no one to do something that no one thought was possible was terrifying. And I think sometimes in life we wait for things to be perfect before we want to start. But we just have to push through our fear and just take that first stroke, that first step, and just start. Because without starting, we, we can't build feedback. Without starting, we can't build momentum. Without starting, we can't build on what we, what, what we started. Yeah. And we've got it sometimes when that famous saying that says when you when – are absolutely terrified to jump, that's actually when you need to jump. Because it's beyond your fears and beyond your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens and where our greatest potential lies. Yes. Is beyond our fears. Yes. And every time you go there, that's when you realize what where your potential lies. Yeah. And that you're just scraping the surface before that, before you are just about to scale up. 
and find your greatest potential because it's right there. And once you realize that, then you keep on scaling up and then seeing what's possible. And yes, there were some crazy dark times out there. And I think the one time was probably the one of the darkest times was on Christmas Day. I'd been out there already for just under a month. I'd been dealing with so many extreme things that you'll have to read the book to be able to. I'm it's just to. nuts, the stuff that I was going through. And I already realized that if I was on my journey, I'd already gone like not even a tenth of 10% of the journey and I was already running short of on time. And, and, and if I looked at my duration that I was going to be out there, I was going to be short on water, short on, on food, short of everything else. And this was the last potential time I could turn back and I had to make that call. And I remember at that time, uh, it was Christmas morning. I'd been paddling for eight hours already. It was a, only like 10 o'clock in the morning. So I'd done almost the equivalent of a full Ironman. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning and I was so hungry. I remember picking up my freeze-dried food packet, which was the same freeze-dried food packet that I'd had for the last month. And it's just so unpleasant. And I remember picking it up and I was so hungry. And my mind, my, my eyes reading ham and leek. And I instantly lost my appetite because it was the same one that I had every day for the last last like 30 days already and oh. basically your mind's going there's no way you're putting another one of those in there again today and at the same time as i started to get really emotional in this like dark spiral because we all go in that that yes. negative spiral yes and you have to find ways to be able to pull yourself out of it and as i was seeing like i'm thinking about how bad things were and i was physically and emotionally completely drained from the conditions that i had for the last two weeks and i just and as i was thinking that i saw that i was lopsided and that's when i realized that actually i was I actually did have a leak, not just ham and leak. I was slowly sinking and I couldn't figure out where the leak was. I couldn't open up the hatches because there was water coming over my deck all the time. So I couldn't even check my hatches for another week to be able to see how I was sinking. And, and I was thinking like, what a really bad idea this was to stand a paddleboard across the Atlantic because I was thinking about all you guys having your Christmas duck with all your friends and family and thinking what a stupid oh. idea it was to paddle across the Atlantic. And that's when you have to go really deep and start pulling yourself up. You can go into that really dark, negative emotional spiral. And you have to be able to have ways to be able to pull yourself out of that zone because there's no one else around you that's going to be your cheerleader and that's, that's going right. to motivate you. So how are you going to man up, suck yes. it up and find a way to be able to get yourself through? Yes. And if you don't have a purpose greater than yourself, right then and there, doing it for yourself is not enough. Yeah. It is never enough to be able to get you through your dark times. So you better have a very powerful purpose and a very strong North Star that's going to lead you through those dark times. And in that moment, I created a little mantra for myself that was like, hey, shut up, suck it up, get up, stand up, make the change and be the change that you want to see in the world today. And in that moment and in that little mantra, I thought about multiple different things. And I have a, what's called a layer cake that I built for myself. And if you want to know what a layer cake is, it's in, it's in the book and stuff. And I talk about it. It's, it's, a very, it's all about purpose and gratitude. And you need to have a very, very big layer cake for doing the stuff that I do. Yes. Think of like a, a wedding cake. It's in those like layers, those, those blocks, you know? Yeah. And you need to have a layer cake that is so big and so deep that every single time you get into a dark place that you can tap through those layers of why you're doing it yes. and why it's important to you. Yes. So by the time you get halfway down your layer cake, you're like, okay, screw this. I've got this. I'm going to get through this because of this, this, yes. this, and this and get down to gratitude and not focus on the things that are going wrong and things that are bad in your life. And shut up and suck it up and stop focusing on that. Focus on the things that we take for granted each and every day. So in that moment, I was like, go straight back to the most powerful tool that exists on the planet, which is gratitude. Gratitude that I'm alive today. Yeah. Because many people had plans for last night and this morning and never made it to this moment. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I'm looking out in my world around and it's stormy and it's hectic and I'm physically and mentally drained and I'm stuck in the middle of the ocean and I'm not sure if I'm going to get to the other side. But you know what? I'm doing this because of this, because I'm giving back to these kids. Mm -hmm. Some of these kids don't even have a little face that mm -hmm. can feed themselves. Mm -hmm. I have arms and legs that, that move. I'm alive. Mm -hmm. This conditions outside. Yes, it's stormy. It's horrendous. It's scary but it could be worse because I've known that because I've just gone through a storm two weeks later where I thought I might die, but I'm alive. So things could be worse. The reason why I'm doing it is bigger than me and I've got food in front of me. Oh, I've got food. I've got arms and legs that, that work. I'm able to breathe. I'm able to get up and move. I'm able to get up and make an impact. And you know what? 
I can't think of the overwhelming obstacle and the overwhelming journey that I still lies ahead. And if I have to, if I have to think that I still have to only, I've paddled 350 miles and I have 3,500 miles still to go, it's too overwhelming for me. So what I need to do is not focus on the overwhelming obstacle and goal ahead of me. I'm going to break it down into little bite-sized chunks and just focus on what's in front of me. And right now, I'm just going to get up, stand up. I'm going to put my Christmas hat on. I'm going to put some old school in excess on my little outside and I'm going to get up there and I'm going to make it happen. And I'm not going to focus on getting through the next 4,000 miles. I'm going to focus on just getting through this next shift. And when I break down that shift into micro goals, I'll make sure that by the time I get through that, that shift, I'm going to be able to feed 150 kids every single shift. And every single day, I'm going to pay for another operation. And if that isn't enough to be able to get me through my day, then I'll die trying because that's what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So shut up, suck it up, get up, make that change that you want to see in the world. And I got up and I made that day so monumentally powerful that that day got me through my entire journey. That is incredible. And you know what? Every day, incredible. every day, like when I got when I got through those like moments, I was be like, okay, you get through that shift. Your goal, your goal for this entire day, get through to sunset. Can you do that? Yes, I can. Okay, get through the sunset. And then I'd get through the sunset. I'd be like, okay, well done. Job done. Now, survive until daylight. Oh, my gosh. And then in the morning, I'd get oh up. Oh, my gosh. And just remember, I'm, I'm still paddling through the night. Yes. Well, okay? <laughs> four hours on, two hours off. Four hours on, two hours off. Four hours on, two hours off. And in my two hours off, I don't get two hours sleep. I've got to do my navigation, fix all the problems, do my hydration, my food, my everything else, fix all the, all the stuff and prep everything and sleep, hopefully for 45 minutes to maybe an hour, if I'm lucky. And then I've got to stand up and do another Ironman again every day for 93 days, through the day, through the night, without having like meals and normal stuff and through giant adversity, running, hopefully not getting run over by super tankers, giant squids, great white sharks, multiple breaches. It's just, there were so many crazy challenges but every day was about just get through today then get through just get through tonight and you can apply that principle to everything in life because we we get so overwhelmed by stuff but all we need to do is just focus on what's in front of us think of a purpose greater than ourselves, and just focus on getting through what's in front of us day in day out and eventually you'll eventually get there as long as you give up and don't try stop trying i'm absolutely going to destroy this book this weekend 100 percent i can't i can't even believe it i was so amped up about you getting here and i was so thankful to sarah that she could make it happen for us but i didn't th i didn't think that my intensity and like uh uh appetite for the book could get a lot higher and now being with you for a couple hours it's clear this is a must read and um i'm so excited uh, that you were able to be here with us today to share so much about your life story and about what you're passionate about. I, I would be really upset with myself if I didn't ask you, what are two or three of the charitable organizations that you're most passionate about in this season of your life that you want to bring awareness to quickly? Um. Thank you. With gratitude, I, I really Please. appreciate you mentioning that. Um, well, everything that I do is through my 5013C nonprofit, which is the Chris Burdish Foundation. Yes. So I use that to be able to do like incredible gifting. So the, the obviously the book that we're talking about as well. Um, so this this book is um, that book is just very unique, and that's why I published it myself. So I had a little bit more control over yes. the output. So it's FSC certified paper. We've already planted a, a forest in the the Platbos Reserve in in South Africa to offset the whole carbon footprint of it. And then we've partnered with Sustainable Sea Trees in 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 the US to be able to offset the carbon footprint here. And there's no other book that actually does that. And that's just the normal book. Wow. Um, which I just try and be an example of example through everything that I do. And I think that's sort of an example of that. And I think it's about how to show up and be a better version of yourself each and every day in some small way. And that's important. And I think the, this book that you, that um, I've gifted you today, which I think you, um, I think you'll really enjoy. 
It looks a little different. And the reason why it looks different is because, yeah, Manny's holding one of the most sustainable books that's ever printed in the world. Um, it's got the blue covers made from recycled um, ocean plastic bottles called Toil Ocean. The, the, I'll let you show it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty amazing. We only just launched it really a couple of weeks ago. Um, the pages are made with post-recycled um, consumer recycled paper um, using non-toxic uh, glues, uh, water-based inks for the text, uh, soy-based inks for the for the picture pages. Um, uh, yeah, as I said, eco thread, special binding, and then a seed page built into it. So when you finish reading it, you can actually plant it, and it'll turn into Northern California wildflowers. <laughs> and then over and above that, like the whole book is like 100% of the profits of on the only like five books that we're auctioning off goes to. Um, building a first circular economy horticultural school in northern Kenya in a disadvantaged area that empowers women. The women become the teachers, the tradesmen from the community help build the school. The kids in the school get gifted 4,000 trees that they plant in the first two years of the curriculum that feed, sustain, and support the entire community. And then I'll gift them a whole lot of books that will help inspire the the kids as well um, on their journey. And I think that's just an example of how a small idea can have enormous impact when you don't think out of the box, but you think like there is no box because people have been printing and making books for thousands of years. Why hasn't someone done something like this? And I think there's always a way to be better. And hopefully the stuff that I do is an example of that in every way. I uh, so loved being with you today. It was just an absolute treat. And I know you drove through the dark of night, uh, which hopefully was less scary. Uh, than the 93 days on yeah, the Atlantic you know, Ocean. Like, like everything in life, don't make excuses. Show yeah. up and be your best. I mean, yeah. This is a great opportunity and a great privilege and pleasure and uh, immense gratitude yeah. for having me here today. So and, thank you, uh, Manny. You're an incredible individual and human in your own right. And I know you've done some incredible things and you lead by example and you've won thank you multiple international leadership awards and you thank do you. some incredible things and your your give back is un immeasurable. And I, I really love spending time with like-minded people that use their their gifts and their, their passions and their purpose to be able to gift back and lift other people up because that's what life is about. Thank you so much for saying that. And so, you know, on behalf of the podcast and our family, we're so excited about all the incredible work you're doing. And so we're really, um, really committed to continuing to follow your story and show up with more than just time, but also talent and treasure. And uh, I just feel so blessed and privileged that this could be the start of a beautiful relationship. And I always say the rising tide lifts all boats. And uh, you're definitely the rising tide, Chris. And it was just such a privilege to be with you this morning. I'm so thankful to Sarah. I want to say that one last time. Just such an incredible human being. So thankful that she's in our lives and was able to put us together. And obviously, I want to do one last shout out to my beautiful niece, Charlotte Carroll, and her siblings, Drew Ann and Hank Carroll. Um, uh, this uh, was incredible. And so this show is dedicated to you all. And uh, it was a privilege. Thanks thank for being with me this morning. Thank you very much. I mean, privilege yeah. and, a, and a pleasure. Thank and thank you very much for your team, Holly, and the team for doing such an incredible job and helping me navigate my way to... Um, through the streets of Detroit to be able to find my way here. I thought if I if I got lost here, there would be a bad start to the podcast, but I can navigate my way across multiple oceans and then get lost in Detroit. Not yeah, that's right. He's going to get lost in the state of lakes, but he doesn't get lost in the Atlantic Ocean. Thanks so much, Chris. Hey, gang, thanks so much for listening. And thanks to our guest today, Chris Burdish. Connect with Chris on Instagram at Chris Burdish, C-H-R-I-S-B-E-R, T-I-S-H. Hey, if you like what you heard, please be sure to follow, rate, and review. It just takes a second at the podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever, wherever you're consuming these incredible conversations. You can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at podium underscore podcast. Post about the show on social media, tag us, our team, Chrissy, everyone. We'd love to repost and share with our gratitude. And hey, at the end of the day, please consider telling a friend. We're here to bring great conversations from some of the most inspirational humans that we know. And we're hoping that these add value to the way you are savagely attacking your one life. Tell folks about the podcast and we'll see you next time.